Uh, you may be seated. Those of you that were here last week uh, might notice, if you're somebody that's really, really detail-oriented, that the sermon title and text that is listed this week is the exact same sermon title and text that was listed last week. That's because I, I made a mistake last week. I know it's hard to believe that that would happen, uh, but I made a mistake and I actually preached the sermon I was supposed to preach this week last week so we're a little bit we're a little bit out of order um, but I don't think it will affect our understanding of today's text if you but if you were confused about what was going on uh, it was my fault normally if you're confused about what is going on it's probably my fault um, in any case uh, in the verses we are we are going to read these verses today Paul talks about contextualization doing this well is one of the most significant challenges Christians face as we move about in the world. Now, the question that may come up is, what is contextualization? Contextualization is what happens when Christians live out the universal gospel of Jesus Christ in different cultural contexts. Many scholars of religion, historians, anthropologists, and sociologists, people that in many cases are not even Christians, believe that the ability to adjust over the years is Christianity's secret sauce. I have personally had the opportunity to interact with Christians in Jamaica, Cuba, Moldova, Haiti, and all over the United States over the years. Across the world today, there are Christians in almost every imaginable situation. It would appear that I have almost nothing in common with Christians worshiping in North Korea or Chile. But we worship the same Lord. This doesn't mean we dress the same, talk the same, sing the same, or even have the same understanding of how a family should function. There is an unbelievable amount of diversity. Not all of that diversity is good. Every culture has unique food, yes, but every culture also has unique sin. Christianity can be contextualized to any culture. This doesn't mean it should, it should ignore the sin present in any culture. Individual Christians and churches must not affirm error. We should look for opportunities to connect with those we differ from culturally. For Christians today to move Jesus' gospel-spreading mission forward, contextualization is unavoidable. We must do it, and we must do it well. In today's verses, this is Paul's focus. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians now. We're going to begin reading from chapter 9, verse 19. We'll read through verse 23. If you're using the Pew Bibles, that's on page 900. It'll also be projected on the screen behind me. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. 
Hear the word of the Lord. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And I have become all things to all people, but that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Paul is a master of contextualization. In these verses, he lays out his strategy. Throughout the second half of the book of Acts, we get to see what this strategy looked like in practice. We know from Paul's letters that he successfully planted churches in a variety of situations. While Paul may be the master of contextualization, his strategies are not outside of our capabilities. The barriers for modern Christians to effective contextualization are not primarily pragmatic. They are a result of our priorities. The willingness to contextualize the gospel of Christ is a spiritual issue. In today's verses, Paul's focus is not on himself. His priority is everyone else. Now, it's not unusual for a person to be focused on helping others. Normally, the groups people care about are the groups that are the most similar to them. Humans, we, we have a tendency towards tribalism. We care about ourselves the most, our families second, followed by our town or, or people that are similar to us in some other way, and then our fellow citizens. The more important, or the more different, I'm sorry, a person or group of people is from us, the less likely we are to care about them or prioritize them. Caring about those that are like you, it's just not particularly impressive. Even horrible people care about their own children normally. Like the worst person you've ever met probably still wants good things for their kids. Hitler cared deeply about the German people. He was incredibly nationalistic. Caring about people that are like you that's not particularly impressive. Paul's claim that he serves all is unexceptional, not because he serves, but because he willingly serves all. Remember, 
Paul is ethnically a Jew. Jews were a minority in the Roman Empire, and they were not well-liked. They didn't like others either. After all, they were God's people surrounded by heathens. It was common for someone who was Jewish to despise anyone that was not. They didn't like the civilized Romans, but they did have a grudging respect for them. The Romans had conquered Judah. They had desecrated the temple. When it came to the uncivilized barbarians, there may have been less active dislike among your average Jew, but there was no respect. The barbarians were just ignorant slaves and mercenaries. Paul doesn't see others as Jews, Romans, or barbarians. He sees them as God sees them. Whoever they are in the world's eyes, it doesn't affect his motivation for serving them. They are image bearers whose sin is destroying them. They need to be one to the Lord. It is a challenge for us to see people as Paul did, which is in line with the way God sees. We look at the outside of a person. I remember about 20 years ago, wearing really baggy pants were the style for teenagers. Do you remember this? Guys would walk around like this to keep their pants up. Yeah, okay. Uh, they have to kind of be bow-legged. Uh, so whatever styles are happening today, I still think it's better than that. But I remember hearing Christians talk about kids walking around with these ridiculous pants, you know, like around their knees. And it was totally justified to be like, that's kind of dumb, right? That's kind of a dumb style. Like, that's totally fine. That's totally fine to recognize it as dumb. But that's, that's not totally what was happening in the conversations that I was a part of. There was a real active dislike, bordering on loathing. Look at these kids. It's kind of like a disgust. Look at them just walking around. Our society is gonna collapse because of these kids in their pants. You could hear the anger of these kids that were clearly just trying to fit in culturally through a misguided style choice. When people are different from us, we struggle to not feel threatened. The preferences and style choices of others are perceived as a threat to the way of life that we are comfortable with. Exposure to a different way of doing things often makes us feel judged. I have a kind of random example of this. In the past year, I've gotten really into, really into soccer, okay? Uh, I was coaching one of my kids' soccer teams. I was really enjoying it. So I started to watch soccer on TV. And it was funny because I would, I would say this to people and come up in conversation and you could tell people, it wasn't just like, oh, that's a kind of a weird thing to be interested in. People really felt threatened by my interest in soccer. To them, it felt like 
a repudiation of American football, and by extension, kind of a repudiation of American culture. There are times that we are being overly sensitive when we are faced with a different way of living. There are also times that an alternative choice is intended to communicate that what I think is important is not important or even inferior for someone else. Part of the reason people get so annoyed about trends young people embrace, like baggy pants or the present trend of kids having mullets, have you seen this, mullets are back? is that those trends are often an intentional rejection of the previous generation's status quo. But we don't need to feel threatened that other people's way of living will destroy our way of living. We don't need to feel threatened by that unless, unless our way of living is a product of a world filled with sin as opposed to the love and truth of Jesus Christ. If the way of living we are committed to is not kingdom living, we should be absolutely hysterical because it is just a matter of time before it crumbles to dust. The problem is not other people. The problem is that God will eventually throw down everything that is not of him. He often uses the attrition of this world to do just that. For those that have invested their whole life in a temporary cultural expression that is not aligned with God's eternal purposes, this erosion feels like the end of the world. It is not the end of the world. It is the end of the world that they have constructed for themselves to give their own lives meaning and purpose. It is the end of that faulty, comfortable world. It is easy to get passing cultural preferences confused with the Christian faith. This is what Paul does not do. He can become all things to all people because he realizes his cultural preferences are insignificant in contrast to the love of Christ. Paul can dress, talk, or eat like any of the people he serves. All those external signifiers are unimportant to him. They are all passing away. If he can speak more effectively regarding the eternal truth by not making a big deal about the cultural practices of the people he is serving, then he will do it. This doesn't mean Paul will just do whatever. In the last chapter, he stated, yeah, he'd give up meat if that was helpful, but he's not going to worship idols. The point is consistent. He's not going to sweat the small stuff. Being all things to all people is not easy. At best, it involves some level of discomfort. Paul had to put himself out there. 
doing what he says in these verses required eating unusual foods, speaking in foreign tongues, and learning different cultures. When I was in college, I spent a summer teaching English as, as part of a missionary effort in Hungary, okay, in Budapest. And one of these weeks I was there in the summer, we worked with a team of Chinese nationals that was living in the city as, as part of this missions outreach. And on the Friday of that week, or, or leading up to the Friday, they said, hey, we appreciate you guys so much. We want to bring authentic Chinese food, a, a whole, you know, a feast for you guys to enjoy with us. And I was so, I was so excited. I was so excited about this Chinese food. And they, they brought this tremendous spread, all this variety, and a lot of it looked good, and some of it looked disgusting, okay? And there was one thing that they were like, now this, this is really a treat. And I was like, all right, I'll eat anything. And they pulled out a duck's foot. And the treat was to eat the webbing between the duck toes, okay? And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that looks really gross, I don't want to do that. But I didn't want to offend them. And so, here we go, let's eat some duck webbing, right? So I did it, and it was gross, and I don't recommend it. But my point is, is that, that was a, it was a small sacrifice in the grand scheme of things, right? But next time I get offered a, a buffet of authentic Chinese food, I might be a little less excited looking towards it. The physical discomfort that goes along with showing Christ to others, you know, that's a, that's a funny story. But it's really nothing compared to giving up one's own preferences when it is necessary. That is a much harder thing to do. Our preferences don't feel like preferences to us. They feel like universal moral absolutes. We aren't even sometimes familiar or aware of how much the things we do aren't just rules that everybody knows to follow. I'm not from Massachusetts originally, I'm from Tennessee. And in Tennessee, we drive differently than they do here in Massachusetts. Hold your jokes, okay? <laughs> but one way we drive differently in Tennessee versus Massachusetts is if you are a pedestrian, warning, warning, if you go to Tennessee and you are a pedestrian, you are walking, on a sidewalk, on a street, anywhere, you are on your own. No traffic will stop for you. No car will care that you were there. You are on your own. So people will say like, oh, Massachusetts drivers, they're ruder, right? Sometimes, it depends on if you're a pedestrian or not, because if you're in Tennessee and a pedestrian, I'm serious, watch out. Because here in Massachusetts, you know, like they'll be walking along, and even if you're not at a crosswalk, if people can tell that you want to cross the street, they will stop right? They'll stop. They'll wave you across the street normally, right? That's kind of the expectation. And when people don't do that, we think, man, that dude's a jerk, right? In Tennessee, if you're a pedestrian waiting across the street, everybody driving by you is just thinking, why does that jerk not have a car? They don't care, okay? <laughs> so my point here is that we all have deeply ingrained ideas about what is appropriate in different situations. Now, these ideas often share an underlying impulse of, of justice or fairness that is universal. But the ways those ideas play out, the specific expectations, vary from culture to culture in many different ways. 
So we need to be very cautious about making the claim that a specific way of doing things is God's way of doing things. We are actually pretty good at convincing ourselves our preferences are moral. You see this happen in the, with the way people dress. Churches have actually been known to divide over what style of music should be played. In the present, people drawn to Christianity today often have an outlook on life strongly influenced by tradition, and that's not a bad thing. However, Christians that want to serve others, as Paul did, must do the hard work of evaluating their convictions. Preferences can and should be sacrificed if they are barriers to Christ. God's moral absolutes, communicated through Scripture, cannot be. The gospel of Jesus Christ prioritizes people over preferences. Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. The all to which he is referring is becoming like a Jew or a pagan. Every personal sacrifice he makes is an outworking of the gospel. Paul's priority isn't being nice. He isn't just doing this so people he interacts with can be more comfortable. Paul's way of living is inseparable from his theology. Jesus came to serve people so they could know God. Christians are to do the same. In the short term, the gospel inherently involves sacrificing personal comfort for other people. In the long term, it includes sharing with them its blessings. One of the most exhilarating verses for me in all of scripture is found in the, verse, in the book of Revelation. John writes, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe, excuse me, from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be our God forever and ever. Amen. This event is part of what Paul looks forward to. If you don't get excited about the cacophony of human voices rising up in a beautiful chorus of praise to the one true God, your heart doesn't reflect the heart of Jesus Christ. This is not an insignificant matter. It is a basic outworking of the gospel. The kingdom of Christ in its final form will not be Western or Anglo or American, it will certainly include those elements. 
It will also be African and Cambodian, Russian and Peruvian. If we embrace the gospel and look forward to it spreading across cultures, then we must, like Paul, strategize how we will share that gospel with others who are different from us. We do this as individuals. My life is different from your life. Outside of church and my immediate family, I spend time with a variety of types of people on a weekly basis that do not know the Lord. I talk with fellow PhD students and I coach third and fourth graders. When it comes to being all things to all people, these groups require different strategies. I have to bite my tongue a lot in both situations. Although both groups do, they, they think they're smarter than they actually are. Each of you has opportunities I do not. At your work, you are surrounded by people that do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have hobbies with similar opportunities. If you are wondering who will show the love of Christ, to the people you interact with on a regular basis, you only need to look in the mirror. Every Christian should be actively trying to love others as Christ did by sharing the gospel in a way that can be understood. Doing so will sometimes require us to be uncomfortable. Churches have the same responsibility as individual Christians. We are called to share the gospel with those that are culturally different from us. And I think sometimes this is even harder for churches to do than it is for individuals. Many Christians want the church only to be a place of rest and solace in a world gone mad. It should be that, but it shouldn't only be that. We are here because we are corporately carrying out Jesus' mission. Some of you may be hearing this right now and thinking, ugh, ugh, the pastor wants to get rid of something I like, right? What does the pastor want to get rid of? Nope. I do want to make sure that as a church, we are continually thinking about how we can be all things to all people that by all means we might save some. Our corporate life must align with Christ's gospel. This church does not exist for our comfort or to propagate a particular cultural perspective. It exists to further a universal disciple-making mission. Contextualization has never really been an optional part of the gospel moving forward. Jesus did it. Paul did it. Missionaries across the centuries have done it. Many of us are sitting here today, if you, if you track back, because at some point, centuries ago, a monk that loved the Lord, decided to go live among those awful, awful pagan Saxons or some other barbaric tribe. Even at times when Christianity has been most dominant in a nation, there have still been Christians pouring out their lives so that people at the time could know that simply being German 
or a New Englander doesn't make a person a Christian. As individuals and as a church, we exist within a culture that needs the gospel. For most of our friends, neighbors, and co-workers, it is a foreign matter. We cannot expect them to come to us. We must go to them. Doing so is going to be challenging. It will be uncomfortable. Questions will inevitably arise around what is an outworking of the gospel that's legitimate and what is an absolute moral absolute we must not transgress. We must make the effort nonetheless. The gospel compels us to do so. The eternal diversity of humanity that God is bringing about in Christ entices us to play our part in its completion. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow into a mature understanding of ourselves and of each other, of what is a preference, of what is a reflection of right and wrong that we absolutely need to maintain a boundary on, Lord. Those are, those are challenging conversations to have. We thank you that we are not alone in thinking through these matters, Lord, that you have given us your spirit to give us wisdom and knowledge about how we can best move forward in our lives and love the people that you have placed in our path, Lord. I do lift up this church in particular as we do seek to make disciples in this area and as in many ways it feels like the culture continues to shift away from us, Lord. I pray that you would give us wisdom about how to love others well. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.